Welcome, everyone. What? That's just like the most flamboyant. You well, have a lot of arm movements. It's been a long I time. Wish, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Let me try this again. Welcome, everyone. Still with go. the hand movements, though. I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic today. <laughs> Welcome to everyone to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tim Whitaker, joined here by my two other great co-hosts, Jordan Renault and Robbie Michael. Hello, gentlemen. Hola. Hello. It's been a long time. It has. It feels good. And, yeah, even longer since the last one we did. What? Hasn't worked. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Rob. I didn't Rob. even know this was an issue. <laughs> our last one, our last podcast for some yeah. reason we'll has not been. Uh, Eventually. Hopefully. Yeah. It's I'll up to get Rob. it fixed. Don't worry. That's mm. what he says, but we'll find out. Yeah. They just told me about it tonight that it wasn't working. <laughs> That's not true. That is true. <laughs> no, it's totally not true. We we told you, I probably told you before the wedding, probably probably a couple of days after the podcast was posted, I'm pretty sure me or Jordan definitely said, hey, it's not working. And then I got it working. Hmm. But it's not working. Well, then it's not my <laughs> fault. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, moving on. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, gentlemen. Yeah. I got married. Yes, you what? did. I did it. I did it. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yes, it was something else. But before we get there, let's start with the most important subject of all today, the coffee we're drinking. Yes. Mm. This cup of coffee brought to you by the good folks at Mexico. <laughs> at <laughs> <What>? Mexico. <laughs> like it's a company. Yeah, it could be a company. Mexico, Mexico, LLC. <laughs> I recommend an all-inclusive vacation, Mexico. Mm. Delicious. Actually, I did bring it back from Mexico for my honeymoon. So it's pretty good. And then Rob ground it up in his blade grinder. <laughs> Noob level, like <laughs> one right there. I didn't even know there was more than one. If that was a Pokemon level, that'd be Pokemon level newbie. Yeah, good one. Thank you. Good one. <laughs> Off the top of my head, you know. Anyway, it was good though. Good, good, definitely some good coffee. So yes, I got married finally after forty long years in the wilderness. <laughs> The wedding went smooth. Well, Rob, yeah. you were there. I was there. Jordan was there as well. I was. Jordan was actually in the wedding. Yeah, Jordan yeah. had a much better seat. I was honored. Well, that's because I like Jordan a lot more than you. Well, yeah. that's fair. Right. So I said, you know what, That's Jordan, never been a secret. You should be in the <laughs> wedding. And Rob, you just sit in the heat and watch from a distance. Maybe if Rob had invited you to his wedding. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to say, you know, it's listen, possible. eye for eye. We all know what Jesus says. <laughs> Revenge. That's what he says. Yeah. A lot Revenge. of that. But yeah, we got yeah. married. It went great. It was hot. But it cooled down in the evening. Yeah. So. It was I must nice say, wedding. your dad did a really good job. Isn't that mm. amazing? I had a lady come up to me afterwards that was sitting at our table and was like, "Where? what church is he a pastor of? Really? And I was like, Tim Whitaker painting? <laughs> <laughs> well, my dad's a great communicator, but he never really uses that gift. I don't know why, because you're right. He's a great communicator. He's always said that he doesn't have like patience for people, which I guess back in the day maybe used to be him, but he's so different now. I don't, I don't even think he realizes how different he is. But, yeah, he did a really great job um, for sure doing the whole officiating and everything. And, honestly, the wedding went really well. And I'm glad I'm married because I never want to plan another wedding ever again. <laughs> I mean, that Jordan. Is the best part is, like, the relief of oh being my gosh. planning. When we got into, uh, into the car to get driven off to uh, our hotel, I just said, oh, my gosh, I can breathe again. Like, it, I yeah. felt well, like that's because you didn't have to clean up. That's true, but I felt like just I was—I <laughs> felt like I was inhaling just a big inhale, a big deep breath for like eight months, and then I can finally exhale right after that. Yeah, it was a good feeling. Were you stressed out during your wedding as well, Jordan? Yeah, leading up to it for sure. How about you, Rob? Not at all. 
Did Julia plan all the stuff? In about one month's time. No joke. But yeah, then, didn't your mother-in-law plan a lot of it? Yeah, but it was they decided who was coming and didn't invite you. <laughs> <laughs> clearly. <laughs> clearly. Clearly. But, but yeah, it was very... Julia had everything planned out and it was just like, here's what we're doing. I'm like, cool. No, yeah. Let's do this. I mean, we, we had a lot of ideas, but because we did ours in a backyard at someone's house, we had to take care of things that you don't think about taking care of, like the bathroom situation. We can't have 200 people going in, going into someone's house to use a single bathroom, so we had to rent a nice restroom, stuff like that. Right. But overall, I mean, it was stressful, but it was worth it. It went really well. It did. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. I, had I a think good time. that's the third time you've talked about the bathroom on the podcast. <laughs> I love. Listen, he, he was listen, really excited that about bathroom that bathroom. Was air conditioned? It was. It was a nice bathroom. I cranked it up at wait, one point, wait, and then what? I realized that might be <laughs> yeah. why the generator kept cutting out. <laughs> so I went back in and turned it down. Yeah, we uh, we had air conditioning in in our bathroom. I would have been sitting in there all night. <laughs> yeah, it was like sixty degrees. I would have been like Julia, go to the bathroom. It was like ninety degrees outside. One thing I don't get though, now especially now that the wedding's over. I don't know how people go into debt over a wedding day. Because I know people who have. Like, sure. they will take out small loans. I don't understand that because now that it's over, I would be in so much like regret of just thinking, oh no, I still owe money for a day that's over. That really flew by. I mean, the wedding day does fly by real quick. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's a huge, long, lengthy process. You wake up, and before you know it, you're saying, I do. And before you know it, you're going home. I'm just glad that there was no debt involved because yeah. I can't. I couldn't imagine spending like forty thousand dollars on one day. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so, so we did that, and then the honeymoon was great, and I finally had sex, <laughs> and it was great. Good job, Tim. Thank you. It was great. You need a high five. I do. Woo! There it is. No, but it was worth it. It was great. I'm happy I waited. I really am. He's been smiling since he got home. Listen, I I truly have been smiling since I got home because. Waiting to have sex was quite possibly, no, not quite. It definitely was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And same with Sarah, too. We both decided to wait. I'm really glad that we waited. It was well worth it. Well worth it. It just was. I mean, I know it sounds kind of like weird, especially in our culture. I know it's not normal at all for a 27-year-old to still be a virgin you know, before he gets married, but it was worth the wait. Yeah. No you were, regrets. You were almost a 30-year-old virgin. <laughs> Could have made almost. a movie, maybe half a movie. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. No, I, I was almost, but I, I made it. I made it in time. Good job, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. But anyway, that was my experience. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. For me, at, at, at work, my job, everyone, we're all joking about it. Of course, everyone knows that. Like, I've I've been waiting to have sex since I, you know, until I get married, and everyone's telling me how bad the first night's going to be and how awkward it is and how terrible it is and. But honestly, our first time wasn't bad at all. I think part of that was because we we didn't we weren't sixteen and really naive and like barely barely knew each other. You know, before we we did that, we actually knew each other really well. You know, and we were ready for that next step, and it wasn't bad at all. It was great. We were both really grateful that we waited for it. So that was my uh, my experience doing it because it's a it's a perk for people that have committed to spend their lives together. You made that commitment already. Your commitment was, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. Yes. So that, therefore, the sex became much more real and meant a lot more than the 16-year-olds that are like, oh, this is my first boyfriend. Oh, this is so great. Oh. Right. Exactly. Exactly right. And I'm definitely, listen, I mean, I'm people who are listening who have 
had sex outside of marriage. It's not a, a judgmental thing at all. It's just something that Sarah and I chose to wait for a specific reason. That reason was, A, we thought that it was God-honoring, and that, B, we wanted to save that to express that to only our spouse, that part of us. You know, We didn't want anyone else to know us that way until we were at an altar saying, I do, right. and committing for the rest of our lives. And for us personally, we were extremely grateful that we waited. And, you know, um, after the next morning, we just were talking about it. And we both said, like, I'm even though it was tough at times, for sure, you know, we had to really be careful at, at certain points, in our, uh, you know, uh, certain points in our life. We were both just really grateful that we had the resolve, I guess, you know, to wait before marriage. And it was yeah. great. It was great. It's it's awesome. So so far, I'm, in, I'm enjoying married life. I mean, I don't want to say that I'm a pro. <laughs> You know, it has only been like <laughs> two weeks, but how hard can this marriage thing be? I mean, it's pretty simple. You get married, yeah. people give you tons of money, <laughs> you go away on this crazy honeymoon, and then you live happily ever after. The end. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've watched enough Disney stories to know how this works. Yeah. Yeah, you find your Prince Charming, you kiss her, yeah. or she just she kisses me, right? Because I'm <laughs> the Prince Charming in, the, in this story. Sure. <laughs> and then from there, we live happily ever after. Yeah. Am I wrong? No. No, you're right. <laughs> I mean, Jordan, how, long, how many years have you been Rob, married? Let's, let's just let him live in this yeah. for a little longer. <laughs> no, no, that's how it works. That's how it works, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, right good now, job. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't think about anything else. I won't. I won't. <laughs> it's so far, this is easy breezy. Yeah, let him live in ignorance. Yes. <laughs> ignorance is bliss, as they say. Rob, how and many he years? He is in bliss. How many years have you, been, have you uh, been married, Rob? Almost four. Okay, and Jordan? Almost three. Hmm. And you... Almost a week. <laughs> actually, actually, a little over a week, Jordan. All right, it's like a, a week, week and, and three days. days. Three days. Okay, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Longer Monday. than I thought Sarah Glad was going to make it. I'm on day ten, and I'm a pro at everything. Right? <laughs> yep, being a great husband, great lover, patient, kind. This is the epitome of First Corinthians thirteen here. <laughs> yeah. What What can we do better? Today? Well. I didn't. I didn't. I, I wanted to wait to announce this, but I'm actually writing a book now on marriage. Oh, oh good. Calling, I really <laughs> want you to do it's that. It's called Marriage. Oh, How hard gosh. can it be? Question mark. Yeah. Thoughts. Thoughts from someone who's been married for a week. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ten days, Jordan. Ten days. Give me credit where credit's due. Oh, By the time it comes out, maybe like thirty that. days. You know. Yeah. No, wow. You're gonna it, get write it now. <laughs> while the ideas are fresh. So. <laughs> Release it tomorrow. I don't even know what I would write should. about. You know. I mean, I, yeah. I don't Just even know. everything you've learned so far. <laughs> everything I learned. <laughs> Room service is great. I Impart learned part of your wisdom. <laughs> All inclusive vacations are the way to go. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. Live your life as if you're on an all-inclusive vacation. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> will you will you do the forward for me? Oh sure. Wow, this is great. That's awesome. We got a book coming. I'll out. have to break out my sarcasm. <laughs> I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> You're killing me. Uh, well, uh, shall we move on? Yes. We shall. All right. So, Christian's in the news, Rob. The time has come. Wait, 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 wait. What? Guys, there's a Pikachu in my front yard. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, you got to go. All right. Oh, yeah. I oh, got it. Got it. Woo. Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> When Pokemon calls, oh, you got to answer. You got to answer. Are you guys are. All, I mean, you're you're playing. You're playing. I got Sarah hooked on this game, by the way, on the honeymoon. 
Good job. <laughs> I, know I, I wouldn't be crazy. proud of that. <laughs> no, I'm proud of that. She downloaded it herself. She downloaded it herself. And also not proud of that. We ended up poke hunting like for a good amount of the honeymoon. It was great. She's a level 10 in less than a week. I'm so proud. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you just admitted that to so many people. That was Why? chapter two. Of your book. <laughs> Those who pokey hunt together stay together. Yes, it's a it's, it's it's a new like law of the universe for sure. Yeah, I'm hooked. Mm. I love poke hunting. We poke like hunting for your I like bachelor how you party. Say it like it's a new word. Mm-hmm. What poke hunt? It's in yeah. the Webster. Definitely, yeah. definitely. <laughs> um, so Christian's in the news. Let's, let's get right down to Brax. Brass tacks, okay? <laughs> Wayne Grudem. Mm. I don't even know if I said his name correctly. No, that was correct. Are you sure? Yeah, tell everyone who he is, though. Yes, Rob? You're raising your hand. I was waving at my wife. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, okay. Hey, <laughs> Julia's watching us and probably thinking, how is my husband involved with a dumb, stupid <laughs> podcast? But is what it is. Um, Wayne Grudem is a guy who no one ever heard of. Until like three days ago, when <laughs> no, he posted I've, this I've article, I've never heard of him before. I personally have not, but point is, I just he, didn't really know who he was. He posted he posted an article on <laughs> on townhall.com, and the name of this article is "Why Voting for Donald Trump Is a Morally Good Choice." Okay, and that wasn't a sarcastic or satire. No, this is title. not an Onion article. It's not a Babylon Bee article. It's a <laughs> real article, and. For those of you who don't know who this gentleman is, um, he is a theologian. He's an author. He's part of a huge, I believe, uh, Baptist-like um, group. He's a very well-known person in those things, and he teaches. That's what he does. And he wrote this whole article around really why, when compared to Hillary, Trump is a good moral candidate. And I just don't get it, Rob. Can you tell me what I'm missing? I don't get it. And this is a theologian. He literally justifies in this entire article why it's okay to vote for a morally flawed candidate. Now, I understand that that thought process because no one's perfect and we're all morally flawed. We understand that. My biggest pet peeve with this, and we were talking about this before we started recording the episode, is that when you look, I'll I'll give you guys an example here in the article. So, in the article, Grudem, the author, he admits, this is what he says about Donald Trump. He is egotistical, bombastic, and brash. He often lacks nuance in his statements. Sometimes he blurts out mistaken ideas, such as bombing the families of terrorists, that he later must abandon. He insults people. He can be vindictive when people attack him. Uh, attack him. He has been slow to disown and rebuke the wrongful words and actions of some angry fringe supporters. He has been married three times and claims to have been unfaithful in his marriages. And these are certainly flaws, he says, but I don't think they are disqualifying flaws in this election. My problem with an article like this is that the hypocrisy is so through the roof, it's really mind-numbing because these are things that so many evangelicals have used for candidates on the other side in the past. Remember the whole Bill Clinton scandal? I mean, I still hear Sean Hannity mention Bill Clinton in the Oval Office. He still brings up his sexual you know, um, promiscuity from almost 20 years ago. But here we go. Now we have a candidate who is so many things that people on the right have really been against from people on the left. And now all of a sudden, he's just a morally flawed candidate. 
And, you know, what are you going to do? Just hold your nose while you vote for him. No big deal. I, I don't understand this whole mindset of voting for Trump and then justifying it that he's a morally good choice. I think people are scared, like, to that either that Hillary's going to win or just, you know, where things will go if that happens. And I've heard a lot of people bring up the whole Supreme Court thing. Because that's pretty big, that whoever gets elected is pretty much going to choose the next Supreme Court justice who's going to be there for life. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Um, And I think a lot of Christians don't want to see that happen. And I guess they see Trump as the only alternative. And they want to justify that somehow. I mean, but honestly, Jordan, do you think that somehow this can be justified? Do you think that as a Christian, you can really justify morally voting for someone like Trump? I'm not saying you should vote for Hillary. By all means, I, I am equally as never Hillary as possible. I think she's also a terrible candidate choice. And how how Christians can support someone like Hillary is also mind-numbing to me. But the thing is, is that the majority of Christians are not voting for Hillary. The majority are voting for, for Donald Trump. And that's right. what's so... What's so amazing is is how many Christian faith leaders have come out in support of Trump, and these are men who have who have claimed that God has called them into the ministry, and so they're called to lead others, and they're leading others to vote for someone who is morally everything that they've preached against politically for years, but somehow now it's somehow justified because well Hillary is in theory worse, which I'm not sure if she's worse. She's just different as far as worse goes. Yeah, well, I think people just completely ignore any other option. And there's like, well, the lesser of two evils. But I don't know. There is. There are other options. You know, you can vote for a third party or somebody else. Completely. And there's that. I mean, everyone always throws around that like, oh, if you vote for third party, you might as well not vote at all because it doesn't matter. But it's that's such like a circular argument because it only doesn't matter because of that attitude towards it. Exactly. You know? Like if enough people started thinking that mattered, then it would. <laughs> that's that's how the system works. The evangelical movement is huge in America still. Even yeah. though that I know that that it's it's maybe shrinking uh, as far as statistics go, it's still a huge sway in American politics. They could rally and and put up their own candidate easily. They ha- we have the resources, we have the the connections, we have the network, we have the reach. The evangelical yeah, but probably movement. be like a Baptist candidate and like a Lutheran candidate <laughs> and an independent church candidate. The Great Divide. Yeah. The try, try to get us to agree on something. But that's what I'm saying, though, is that is that this is, you know, instead of using this election to, in my opinion, compromise what you believe in for the sake of what you think is security, which I think as well, especially if you believe that God's really in control, I think is so ridiculous. Because if you're going to say God's in control, then why even vote or why even vote for who cares if Hillary gets in because God's in control, right? But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. Um, But in my opinion, this is a great time for Christians to rally around and say, you know what? This is who we choose to run for president. We choose this person, this candidate from our own circles who we think has integrity and that we can fund. The Christian, I mean... I'm, I'm speaking idealistic here. I realize that because you know what would come out. There'd be some embezzlement scandal in a couple months about some Christian <laughs> faith leader who embezzled all this money, yada, yada, yada. But in a perfect world, we could easily bankroll a candidate in the election easily with our money and in, and put up someone who, who could say, no, you know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be pro-abortion, but no, I'm also not going to be in favor of, I don't know, killing the families of terrorists <laughs> because <laughs> Jesus really wouldn't call for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. But I also think on that point, 
someone with the moral integrity that would be someone that we would all support wouldn't be in politics. They would most likely be wanting to serve in a much different way. Kind of what you and I, Tim, were talking about uh, earlier is we're, we're not called like this uh, Wayne. He was saying, oh, well, you have to vote. It's your moral obligation. It's your Christian duty to vote. Uh, you're just squandering what God has called you to do. Well, no, God has called us to love our community. God has called us to serve our community, to be an example, to be a light. He didn't call us to vote, per se. If that's what you feel like you need to do, fine. I'm not not going to convince you otherwise. But in the same way, the candidate that we would probably all get behind and support wouldn't want to be in that spotlight anyway. Mm. So it's kind of a catch-21 or catch-22. <laughs> Um, one of the points. One of, the, one of those. Yeah, yeah. Is, one, one of those, those numbers. Some kind of catch. It's, it's a catch of some sort. <laughs> um, one of the arguments that that um, that he makes in the article that um, uh, Wayne makes in the article, and that again, I just find such a stretch, is that he says um, that because the Apostle Peter says that Christians are exiles on this earth, and he quotes First Peter one one. Therefore, I take seriously the prophet Jeremiah's exhortation to the Jewish people living in exile in Babylon. And he quotes Jeremiah 29, 7, which says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And then he says, by way of modern modern application, I think Christians today should have a similar obligation to vote in such a way that will seek the welfare of the United States. Therefore, the one overriding question to ask is this. Which vote is most likely to bring the best results for the nation? But that's such a huge stretch. I think that's the wrong question in response to that. I think, think I think what he's saying about the verses is true, but I think the question is, is voting, you know, like what Rob was saying, is voting the best response to better your city? <laughs> I don't exactly. think so. Exactly. <laughs> you know, who's in, in control of, of the government, federal government, is so far away from what's actually happening in your community. Yeah. You know, that's actually going to affect your life. Even even the mayor of your town, right. you know, is is somewhat removed from like the day-to-day, you know, happenings in your community. Like I don't think that's the kind of thing that's going to make a difference. I think what's going to make a difference in your city is, you know, the interaction with people. <laughs> well, this is really one of the big I think misconceptions that happen every election, regardless, you know, no matter what election it is, is that Christians get worked up into this frenzy that if they don't vote, that somehow they're not doing their moral obligation or somehow they're they're not being a good Christian. But in reality, it's sitting on the sidelines in your community, not engaging your community, not engaging your neighbor, not loving yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things that really I think don't help you as far as your Christian walk goes. I think that that's what disqualifies you in your neighbor's eyes as being a good Christian or not is, well, were you even there when I needed you? Were you part of my life? Were you involved in the community around you? Right. And so what happens is we get worked up into this humongous frenzy that, oh, I voted for the right candidate. I did my moral obligation. I did my moral duty. And it's really a false sense of duty because it's it's not a moral thing. It, It doesn't affect what happens in your community. You affect what happens in your community. Yeah. I think the whole idea of like affecting change on a community level by like enforcing, you know, our morals and our views like and putting putting people 
that agree with us into power is kind of so backwards, like from what we see in the Bible with Jesus. I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but you were like right about to get married. So I understand if you didn't read it um, or listen to it, because it was actually a guy that came and spoke at my church like uh, like three or four weeks ago. Um, his name is Ian Ashby. Um, he's with a group called New Frontiers, kind of like a church network group. Um, but he talked about, he, he shared the story of the woman at the well and how Jesus interacted with her and how he approached her um, from a place of weakness by asking for a drink. So basically saying, I'm in need, can you help me? You know, and that being kind of his, you know, way of approaching her, not from like, I have, he didn't come out with the, I have the water first, you know, that was later. Um, but anyway, he kind of just used that to, to talk about how we should be serving in our communities and from a place of weakness, not from a place of strength and what that could look like. And because that's the example that Jesus shows to us. Um, and I think, you know, this whole like political thing is so opposite that attitude that we're like, oh, we're going to strong arm our way into government and into the courts and we're going to make things happen that are going to affect change and that are going to change people's lives when it's really like getting down into the nitty gritty of people's lives and, you know, serving them and coming alongside them and not even serving them from a place of superiority, but from a place of, you know, I'm in this with you, you know, I'm right next to you in whatever this is um, and affecting change from from that direction instead of the other way. Do you guys remember when um, it was Obama and uh, McCain the first time and a lot of like uh, faith leaders and talking pundits like the Hannity's and Limbaugh's and especially Glenn Beck, they were just preaching like doom and gloom. Like if Obama gets into office, we're going to lose America and you know, what kind of America are your kids going to grow up in? And it's going to be the, the moral decay of the, of the country. And here we are eight years later and we're having a podcast about Jesus, and I still worship in the same building, and I still have and we're the going, same. If only we could elect Obama for a third term. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But my my point is that we buy into like this hype that if 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 the wrong candidate gets in, uh, gets in, it's the end of America as we know it, and right. it's only a matter of days before Hillary Clinton and her crony troops are are knocking down doors and demanding our guns, and you know, it, before you know it, they'll be tapping into our phones, and once we say Jesus, the phone will just explode in our hand and kill us. I mean, mm -hmm. it's this crazy like doom and gloom scenario. But we're still here. I mean, in the 70s, they were doing this. In the 80s, they were doing this. In the 90s, they were doing this. This is like the typical playbook of a lot of, a lot of, of, of both sides, really. But because I'm, I'm more in the right-wing world, I see it more often of just if this person gets into office, everything is over. And do you really want that for your family? And they play on this self-centered American dream view. And it, it's so in the face of the gospel because even in the article uh, that, that, that Wayne wrote, it's all about how do you want this America? You know, well, if this happens, if Hillary gets in and Hillary starts, you know, getting getting rid of First Amendment rights for Christians, do you really want that to happen in your country? And it's the wrong it's the wrong battle to pick because if you look at the gospel and you look at Jesus and the disciples, they all were murdered. They were all they were all they all died unpleasant deaths they were not growing up in in fighting for their freedom or for their right to uh, free speech they yeah. were doing it no matter what but there's no political motive going on in scripture where jesus is saying you know what you're right we need to vote for someone in this country or put someone in power who will give us our freedom back 
The gospel is not about that. As grateful as I am for our freedoms in the States, 100%, this world's not our own, right? We're just passing through, right? So why do we get so worked up? Why do we freak out so much? And we act so shocked, like, how could Christians get persecuted in America? There's no guarantee that we won't. The Bible says the opposite. It says the opposite. So it, it's so tough to even, in my head, to even align with, with Christianity as we know it in the States because I don't know what belief, I, what belief I'm really subscribing to by saying that because when I read the scripture, I'm like, okay, yeah, give, uh, take up your cross, give up yourself, die to yourself, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Cool. And then I look in the media and I hear that Donald Trump recently became a Christian, according to Dr. James Dobson. But yet there's not one ounce of fruit. But who are we to judge all of a sudden? You know what I mean? Like everything is so backwards. I almost feel like I'm dreaming living in the twilight zone. And at some point I'm just going to wake up because of how on its head everything is with what we see in scripture. And then what we actually see acted out as what we call the Christian movement or evangelical movement. Yeah. Going back to the verse that he used where we are exiles and comparing us to the Israelites who were in exile in Babylon, that's an extreme stretch. And I can see why your friend questioned his theological grounding. Because um, when you actually go to that verse in First Peter 2.11, it's, yes, we're pilgrims and strangers. It actually doesn't say we're exiles, and that's not what the word is. The word is that we're sojourners. We're here just for a temporary time. We're passing through is what it means. And if we actually take that for what it is, if someone was passing through America on their way somewhere else, we wouldn't let them vote here. So if we are just passing through, why are we getting involved in the political processes of here? One of the biggest gripes I have about Christians being in politics is just that. Our citizenship is in heaven. But that's a complete side point. But what, what I really noticed from that text from First Peter 2 is you, we should probably keep reading. Because it says, abstain from fleshly lust. And then it says to watch what you do, how you act, what you say, so that the world may glorify God because of your works. That that's what the verse says. No, no, you mean glorify America because of your works, right? Is that what it says? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. same thing. You're right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, God thing. bless America. <laughs> right. <laughs> it says, say whatever you want. And and to that point, how are we going to support my my support? What I say, the things that I say, this is okay. This is where I give my acceptance to. That if I say yes, Donald Trump is a great guy, and I I support him. What what I'm saying is I don't support a Christian worldview anymore because this is not a morally good choice. Right. That's why I have no problem possibly even not voting because my faith is the most important viewpoint I hold in my entire life. It comes above everything else. It comes above my political views. It has to come above who I vote for because if it's the opposite way, that means that I have politics in a place where my faith should be and now I'm in an idol out of politics. So it makes no sense. So to see so many proclaimed Christians just kind of roll over and say, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're stand on principle like like a man, like an adult. Where's your principle? You know, we, we give Daniel in the Bible all this props for standing up to Nebuchadnezzar, not bowing down to the idol, you know, and not bowing down to a false god. And then here we are literally having massive Christian leaders bowing at the altar of Trump. 
and compromising, <laughs> really compromising. Right. Yeah. All they believe in saying, well, we can rationalize it. And we're all applauding him uh, or applauding them. Oh, that's right. He's right. Take back America. We just don't see it. And then we wonder, you know, it's funny when, when you're a kid or even when you're a young adult, you read these stories in the, of the Israelites and you're like, how do they not see it? How do they not see how dumb they were worshiping a golden calf? Or, you know, you know what I mean? But here we are. Go Trump. Right, right. But here we are. You know, honestly, here we are. And we it's right in front of us. And we can't see that instead of standing on principle, we're just rolling over, compromising our viewpoints, compromising our belief system because we want a false sense of security. Because honestly, what is Trump going to do? He gets in power and what? Is he going to sign some executive order? I now stop all abortion, sign Donald Trump. I mean, it doesn't work like that. Right. It doesn't work like that. We even, I think it was you and me, Jordan, talking to Riley on a couple, a couple of podcasts ago about abortion. And one of the things that we all agreed on was that if the church really stepped up and was involved in the lives of these single moms who were scared to death, that would be a, a much greater impact overall than, than what any law could do. You know what I mean? So hearing just so many Christians put really their security in not the gospel, not in not in Christ, not in his sovereign reign, but in a political candidate and one who is so compromised that you have to do literal gymnastics to va- to uh, to validate and to um, what's what I'm looking for here to justify, you know, the voting for him. It's really telling, I think, of where people keep their their real security. Mm-hmm. Jordan. <laughs> Anyone else got anything to add to that besides me? Um, yeah, going back to what you were saying about the, um, um, sorry, the like how we're not really guaranteed security in our country. Like the Bible doesn't guarantee us that we won't be persecuted or anything like that. Right. I was just thinking when you were talking about that, that if you look back like through history or even not through history, if you just look around at other places in the world today, even or in recent years, you really see that the places where you know like like miracle working faith is thriving you know like those kind of places are not places where it's easy to be a christian <laughs> you know they're not places where they have a lot of rights um you know it's communist china <laughs> right where it's, yeah it until recent years it was illegal to hold church services um or you know it's the middle east where you know muslims are having dreams where jesus is talking to them and you know waking up and there's a pastor at their door the next day (laughs) you know like crazy things like this happening like you don't hear about that stuff in the u.s and or in western christianity because i think we're we don't it's not the kind of environment that christ that like a real faith in christ thrives you know, it doesn't thrive when it's easy. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the point you were making is that Jesus, um, he he spread his gospel through weakness, not through strength. I think that's mm-hmm. right on the same the same kind of mentality. Is Christianity is spread so much greater and so much more powerfully when it's in the face of persecution and real persecution, not. Our perceived persecution right. that not, we have not, here. Uh, not Merry Christmas being taken off of a Starbucks cup persecution. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, oh, I, I, I mean, I enjoy the liberty that we have here and sure. the freedom of religion of course, and absolutely. everything that we enjoy here. But I almost think it would be a great thing for Christianity if some of that liberty was taken away. Not that I'm 
hoping that happens. We always, or, we always have to like we always have to add that on. Like, oh, right. but God, please don't take that away from <laughs> right. us. Right. Like, we're very comfortable yeah. here. I'm not oh. asking for that. <laughs> right. 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 Don't make my faith too tough, God. It would, it would but, be good. You know, right. But, but I don't. But want I don't want to be well, swallowed kind of, by a whale here. It's kind of like being on vacation, though. You know, it's like when I'm on vacation, I know that this is not reality and that I'm going to go back to reality at some point and that I can't expect, you know, I'm there to really have a comfortable time. That's what it's like living in the States as a Christian. Honestly, it's vacation. I mean, we don't have to worry about anything. I never walk out of my doorstep thinking, wow, I might lose my life today because I'm a Christian and my neighbors don't support that. I never have had that thought in my life in the States. Right. I never even had that thought verbally as far as being being even bullied for my faith never had that thought we have it really easy and like you said i am grateful for it i truly am but it's not guaranteed it's not we just happen to live in a period of time for some reason god has us here in new, you know in new jersey in this part of the world at this time for some reason that we, didn't, we maybe we can't fully see yet that is very comfortable mm-hmm. but it's not guaranteed you're absolutely yeah. right rob 100 percent and I guess that's the question you were asking earlier is like, what are we willing to compromise to continue to keep that it false sense of security? Right. <laughs> that's a, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you hit the nail on the head. How, how much, who will we put into power that will tell us I'll keep you safe? How far will we go? We are seeing it. Yeah. I mean, we are seeing it. It's, uh, have you guys seen the John Stewart bit? Uh, when he came on the, the Colbert show recently, he's, he's liberal. Oh, oh, never mind. We can't talk about him. I'm no, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Moving on. No. But he came on the Colbert uh, show recently, and he did a whole monologue, um, and it was all about how a lot of pundits, I'm using people like Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh because they're the biggest ones, how, how, um, how much they flip-flopped from Obama to Trump. And they were playing clips of Hannity talking about Obama being a narcissist and Obama being an elitist and Obama, all this stuff, you know? And and John Stewart's point is like, the very person that you were trying to demonize eight years ago is the exact person that you're voting for now and putting your weight behind. He's an elitist, he's narcissistic, you know? He lives all, all these lavish ways, all this stuff. And it, it was so telling to see how far people are going to go to justify voting for someone like that. It is truly re- remarkable because if you put a list of like Obama attributes about those things, like narcissistic, people would think they were talking about Trump. And they would, you know, it's it's just amazing how when you try to um, just seeing that 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 flip flop really happened. People who were so adamant against Obama. For being what a family man, he's had th- he has what he has two kids and a wife, never been divorced, apparently a great father, right? And then we're voting for the guy who divorced three times, was unfaithful and bragged about it, has several kids from different wives, and that's the role model that we're putting in in platform. Oh, by the way, his wife posed nude for GQ magazine as well, so our first lady would have posed nude already. You know what I mean? Like all these things that you're just like. How would that fly if it was on the opposite? If the shoe was on the other foot, imagine that was who was running on the Democratic side. Oh my gosh! Imagine if Bill Clinton posted nude. 
Uh, no, we, we got to go. We got to go. <laughs> but think about that, though. Right. I mean, Hannity would have a field day. This is the erosion of American values, and this is not what a Christian nation does, and this is shameful to have some first lady pose nude on GQ. It would be a, it would be a, a just a fest, a blood fest for these guys. But because it's their candidate, it's all justified. Right. I mean, they they attack Michelle Obama for how much she spends on clothes. Yeah. Oh, also in trying to get kids to eat healthy. Yeah. Literally, oh, they attacked oh. her for trying to get healthy lunches in the schools. God forbid. It was I. Bunch of I listen to a lot of talk radio because I enjoy, it and I also it's also good to know to hear how people are spending things. I'm not kidding you. Glenn Beck had a whole segment, a whole segment. Guys, I'm looking at you. Don't get more coffee. Yes, had a whole segment. Yeah, Sorry, thank you. Back. A whole segment. Where was I? A whole segment. On making fun of uh, Michelle Obama trying to make the food at the White House healthier. That was the big joke. Like, what? Yeah, what's wrong with trying to get Americans to eat healthier? It's liberalism. Uh, and it, it's, it's nanny state government. It's bad. Because organic means liberal. Yes. Has poisoned us Thank to you. brainwash us. Got That's it. exactly right. Yes. Mm. The government should not mandate anything. You've been told that. Mm, that's true. Exactly. So... <sighs> You know, this podcast thing is so therapeutic. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad as well. You just need more friends. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I'm not sure whose opinion I can change by ranting into a microphone, but it is what it is. You know what hey, I mean? Hey, if we feel better about it, that's all that really matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's what this podcast is really hey, for. <laughs> I, I feel like I did my moral obligation. That's right. <laughs> anyway, Gary Johnson. Gary <laughs> Johnson. <laughs> Rob, you had something you want to talk about today as well, I believe, right? I don't know if we have time to talk about what I wanted to talk well, about. Well, why don't we start? We can always bring it to next week's episode. Uh, okay. <laughs> You're going to have to put some transition music there. Transition. All right. Uh, I think on another big issue that we're facing right now, as Jordan goes to get more coffee so yes. subtly. Um, I'm listening, Rob. Is this whole... Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter versus No Lives Matter. Okay. What about sure. it? Sure. Fill me up, Buttercup. <laughs> um, and the the thing I I think you've we've all seen clips of whatever talk show host or um, famous person talking about how in America it just doesn't make any sense. That we either have to be Black Lives Matter or we have to be Blue Lives Matter. We we can't we can't be both. So when someone says, "Oh, Black Lives Matter," we have to immediately respond with, "No, Blue Lives Matter," as if lives have a color, as if lives are only valued based on what they're supporting. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So I, I, I. So I have a lot of police friends, and I have a lot of minority friends. So I see both sides of the arguments a lot. And it just doesn't make sense to me why the two camps don't get along, because really what they're fighting for is the same thing. They're fighting, the minorities are fighting because they don't feel like they have uh, the proper voice, and in all reality... The statistics do show that minorities are targeted more than white people are targeted. That's, yep. it's, it's not a hidden fact. Right. And But then on the other side, now we've 
turned because we've put the polarity in that view now not only are minority lives more targeted but now police lives are more targeted and we're further just dividing the two camps instead of bringing them together under the banner that hey guys we screwed up in the past what can we do to fix this so that we all can be on the same page that every life matters no matter the color no matter what we stand for what we support um and that's kind of what I've been thinking about recently. I mean, so what's what's like your thought on how do you solve that problem then? I mean, what do you do about it? Because the the thing is, is that have you guys seen the the O.J. Simpson five part series that came out a couple months ago? It's like a mini series on ESPN. No, I saw part of it. It's really good. I it's really good, and they go a lot into the racial tension uh, tensions in LA at the time that really played a huge part of why he even got acquitted Mm -hmm. and they interviewed jurors and it's fascinating, but it really woke me up a lot to, um, a lifestyle that I never had to worry about because I grew up different in really, uh, to a very good family in the kind of a, a, a rural part of New Jersey. I didn't grow up in inner city and I was white. I wasn't black and they point, they make, they just paint a great picture of how minorities were really targeted, and they and the people who were responsible were acquitted. And they, they gave two examples in the, in the documentary uh, that really stuck out to me. Number one was the Rodney King, you know, beating that went right. all national, and all those officers got completely acquitted, no charges. And if you watch that video, not only is it heartbreaking, but it is so clear that it was excessive force. It is so clear, and there's so many officers who are watching it happen while this black guy gets beat up. And then all the officers get acquitted. So if, if that was me, if I, if if I was white and I was a minority, right, and that happened to, to one of my you know friends, and all the officers got acquitted, like what? Did you not see what I was seeing? And then the other thing that that they point to is in LA around that time, um, an Asian woman a woman shot and killed an African American girl over a dispute at at, at like a, a convenience store. It was the owner of the store. The girl turned away to walk out, and the the woman just shot her point blank in the back of the head and killed her. It's on video, and she got probation. Probation. Probation is what she got. No justice at all. So this whole thing, I think, has been stewing way before we we were even aware of it. And now, thanks to the iPhone and thanks to Facebook, people are capturing what many African-American people have felt and have seen for years, but I've never been able to really prove because even the court system, to a degree, has failed them. Not, Not to say that every single case has been you know, acquitted. I'm sure that there has definitely been people who have been prosecuted well, but the perception and perception is reality for a lot of people mm-hmm. the perception is that people who commit crimes against people of color get acquitted much much easier than than when the opposite is true you know what i mean so i really thought a lot about it as well because if my african american uh if my african american brothers and sisters in the church are saying we're being persecuted and we're really being targeted I got. I want to listen. You know, I want to listen to their concerns and see is it valid, and if it is, how can we help? How can we be part of that solution? And I, I think um, part of the problem I get frustrated with is that that whole mindset comes into it to almost make me feel bad for the way I grew up, mm-hmm. and I I don't have to feel bad for how I grew up or what family I was born in. Just as I don't want you to feel bad for how you grew up or how what family you were born into. 
either way, we should be supporting one another. And as a community, we should be stepping up and saying, what can we all do to make sure this type of stuff doesn't happen? And I think there is a movement to go that way. But the polarity has come into these two camps where it has to be one way or the other. All police have to be right or all black lives have to matter. And it's not it's not saying that all police aren't corrupt or it's not saying that those two are mutually exclusive. Mm. But that's almost how the media has portrayed it and how they keep dividing it. And time after time, story and story comes out and uh, these talking points are further driving the point that we have to split these two camps when really we should be working on how can we get these two things together to make sure that we all realize, yes, black lives do matter, but most cops aren't corrupt and we have to persecute the ones that are. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, think about um, you know the, the Dallas shootings of the officers. It's like just when we're starting to make headway and people are starting to listen some lunatic idiot lunatic goes and shoots a couple officers and kills them and what do you like, think the purpose of that was? oh no like what it almost seems like that ha- like the people that did that like that's what they wanted right like to drive that for that right. wedge further in there and put more separate right. those people and the media is just all over it too like promoting these big divisive stories right and not the things that you see, you know, you see those videos on Facebook of like, you know, like, look at these people that got together and right. did something awesome. Right. You know, or these moments where, you know, like the cops and the Black Lives Matter people like talk to each other and it had a really good moment. And like the media doesn't care about that. Well, stuff. <laughs> uh, Snoop Dogg and the game, another rapper, went to L.A. to talk to the officers and to bridge the gap. It was amazing. Yeah, like, that was I awesome. saw the video. It was like it was so good. Not one thing in the mainstream media, not on Fox, not on CNN, not on MSNBC, no coverage. It was on Facebook and it had like three million views, but no coverage anywhere. It was no, it was no national story that you know, hey, you know, rappers go to to make amends with with white cops and and try and bridge and build the community. It was just more of you know, it was that shooting, or then I think um, it was at Baton Rouge. Uh, a couple other cops yeah. got shot as well, and it just it, it makes you think like, oh my gosh, like we're living in. A war zone when in reality we're not we're not and people are reaching out and people are starting to heal hopefully but we don't see those stories if we right. did though i think the perception would be so different mm-hmm. it'd be so different but it does kind of hurt me when to hear again these things are so intertwined politically and that's the other p- part of the problem is that if you're if, if i said on my facebook i support black lives matter people would automatically assume i'm voting for hillary clinton Oh yeah, it's just intertwined. But if I say uh, I support blue lives and they matter, people would assume, oh, you're voting for Donald Trump, and you're also a racist, and you also hate black people. Right. There's all these assumptions that are tied into it, even that though that's like not true. Racism. <laughs> you would think. Isn't that like the, the what that means? <laughs> like assigning a certain stereotype to an entire group of people based on their race. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But that's that's what's so tough is that. Politics, especially in this particular season, more than ever, really rule any kind of perception so that any any thought is immediately put into one of two political ideologies, even if it's not even if it's not a bad thing. Like if I said again, I'm a big fan of taking care of our environment. Oh, you must be liberal. No, I just think as a steward of this earth that God's given us, we should watch what kind of pollutants we're putting into the air. Just common sense. No, no, no. That's liberal. 
Yeah. Right. But if I and if I say, oh, I believe in second Second Amendment and right to bear arms. Oh, you must be a real hardcore right wing conservative Trump nut job. No, I'm not. I just believe that if someone breaks into my home, I have a right to defend it. Not a crazy thought. You know what I mean? So it's it's interesting with with this whole Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter movement because again, it's so politically divided as well when it doesn't have to be. You're right. I do have some friends who are police officers, and I don't want them coming home in a casket. No, but I also not. have plenty of friends who are in, who are in, or who are uh, in minority groups. I don't want them being shot for no reason. That guy, that video of that went viral of the man in this in the uh, in the car who got shot in front of his girlfriend. I mean, that is heartbreaking to watch, and there was no reason for it. Legally, a uh, license carry holder, yeah, uh, proclaimed it, told the officer, right. And the guy shot him in front of his girlfriend, I think his child. Yeah, in the, and the back guy, seat. It's, I mean, could you imagine that? Horrific. You know, so I don't want those guys getting shot either. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But I agree, Rob. It, it is tough to kind of break through all the noise to find, like, where's the healing and how do you bring people together? Mm-hmm. How do you bring them together? Yeah, I think there's a lot of healing that needs to happen even in our local bodies because there's a lot of people that have felt hurt from these two camps and there has to be some kind of even healing on a local level to to make sure those those divides that are happening in the political world aren't happening in our local body either because i think there are people that are being even maybe it's in their mind but that that's still very valid that we need to make sure we're all still feeling one in Christ. When you say local body, you mean the church? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and that's the other question too, is how does the church respond to this? We have a humongous opportunity, once again, to be a bridge and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes I'm finding people in the church who have a platform being causing more and more division. Well, no, Blue Lives Matter too. Okay, can you just shut up and just help be part of the solution, please? Like, we as Christians all agree all people matter, but black lives feel like, like they're not being heard. They right. feel like they're, so that's why they said that. that black Lives Matter does not mean black lives are more important than white lives. It's or saying, that black lives only matter. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's saying, hey, we're not being heard. Don't forget that our lives matter too. And as Christians, I want to validate that and say, yes, you're right. Your lives do matter. How can we help you in the communities? How can we make you feel more comfortable? How can we how can we learn more about where you come from, about your culture? And how can we just be there to help you whenever you need it and vice versa? That's the biggest way I think to heal is when you have mutual understanding and you walked a mile in someone's shoes. I think your perspective changes big time. Big time. Yeah, I think it comes back again to that like trying to serve from a place of power or like you know where you can say where you, first you can say, oh, I'm right. Let me help you. You know, like so many Christians feel, I think, feel like they need to be, you know, seen as morally superior before they can do anything about it. You know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like, why don't you just step in and help, <laughs> right. you know, from a place of, you know, maybe I don't know what the best solution is or, or what's right or wrong, but I want to get to know you. Right. You know? I can never fully understand what it feels like to be racially profiled. But I have many minority friends who can tell me what that feels like. And they have been. I believe them. My own roommate, who I who I live with who I lived with uh, for three years, would tell me stories. And when you live with someone and you trust them, you know they're not making it up, you know, it makes you want to listen. And when you when they tell you these stories, you go, Are you kidding me? How could that possibly happen to you? Because we don't I don't think that way. You don't think that way, Rob and, no. or Jordan. We, we 
we just think that everyone thinks this way that yeah all men are created equal but that's not how it is with some people in the country and unfortunately not how it is with some cops in the country either you know it does again just because there's a couple bad apples doesn't disqualify a whole you know um a whole police force just like how a couple bad apples in, in any race white black you know doesn't matter disqualify a whole race that, that that that's ludicrous of course but at the same time you don't want to turn a blind eye to injustice you know for freddie gray all those officers who were in the van, I think when he died, acquitted. Like, what? You know, all these things happen. It does make you say, are we missing something? Because, you know, if that was anyone else, I'm pretty sure you would have been in jail at some point. You know what I mean? So it just makes you wonder a little bit. It does make you wonder, maybe we are starting to see now more and more of just a system that isn't in favor of all men, but only in favor of men who have the most money or who have the best lawyers or whatever it is. Right. I think it's important too, though, to recognize like the like the distance that we have come as a culture. You know, even in the past fifty years, you know, like like I think it's it's hard to see it sometimes when we go from like a place of ignorance, like you were saying, where we're just not hearing about these things happening because they're not affecting us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not around it, but now we have all this access to things going on and we can see it on Facebook and, and, you know, iPhone videos and things. And it seems like all of a sudden we've taken this sharp downturn in, you know, what's been, you know, the, the trajectory of, of the, our, you know, the morality in our culture. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily what's happening. I think what it's happening is we're seeing it more, Yeah. but I think really we should, look back at our history and say, look how far we've come already and use this now, you know, amazing access that we have to see what's going on to kind of propel us into even making greater strides for that in the future. Um, I, I saw a video about just kind of like showing the statistics of like where our country has been in the past. And it was like in 1958, only 4% of Americans saw interracial marriage as like morally and socially acceptable. And today that is like almost a hundred percent. It's like 98% right. of people would say that. And that's a crazy change in like the attitude of our country. And you go back even further than that. You go back to like, you know, the civil war, like Abraham Lincoln wasn't elected on a free the slaves platform. Yeah. You know, he wasn't right. at all, you know, like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too much into like the details of like this historical story, but it's crazy. Like in the four years of the civil war, like how much the attitude of our nation changed towards people. And it still wasn't great at the end of that by no means, you know, but just the, the, the distance it did go in such a short amount of time. And sometimes it moves quicker than other times. And I think that this could be a time where we can really see it take a leap forward. But I think it's important that we, you know, look for the positive outcome in this instead of, you know, driving things further apart. Yeah, it's good stuff. Any final thoughts, gentlemen, that you have? This is a pretty productive uh, episode, I feel like, because we covered everything that is important to cover. (laughs) We covered sex. In the world. Covered marriage. We covered Donald Trump. He's important. Mm-hmm. He would he would tell you that. Yeah, he would tell you. That. We covered uh, you know the Black Lives Blue Lives Matter stuff. What covered, else is there to talk about? Covered Tim's book. Oh yeah, my marriage book that I'm writing as we speak right now. Coffee. I mean, I'm pretty content. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Cool. Well, 
everyone, thanks a lot for hanging out with us. Um, whatever time. I, I, I always want to say, you know, this evening because we're recording it in the evening, mm-hmm. but this could be the morning for you. So yeah, whenever you like to listen to us. Yeah, so thank yeah. you for listening, period. Yeah. Right? All Deal. All right. We'll catch you guys later on. Have a great day. S- day, night, something. Have a good one. Have a good one. From the heavens, they've got more sea.